Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Supplements. This is a new supplement company that I really love. I've recently discovered them. Their products are made in the USA. They make all natural, nutrient-dense superfood supplements at incredibly reasonable prices. So I found this company really helps make it possible for families to eat a nutrient-packed, all-natural diet without breaking the bank. And even better, they offer bulk discounts. So if you have a big family, this has really helped our budget. You can buy all of their amazing supplements like liver, collagen, even fermented kale, and get up to 35% off with bulk orders. If you use the code wellnessmama10 at perfectsupplements.com, you can also get an additional 10% off of your order on top of that. Definitely check them out. This episode is also brought to you by Pregnancy Exercise. If you've never heard of this website, it's a great online resource for pregnancy and post-pregnancy exercises for moms. The founder, Lorraine Scapins, is a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist, and she shares her knowledge with other women and helps thousands of women to have a healthy and pain-free pregnancy, to prevent diastasis and pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, and to get back in shape safely post-pregnancy. Her website has a ton of great information as well as some specific programs that you can do from home to get back in shape after pregnancy or to have a really comfortable, healthy pregnancy without losing strength in the first place. So check it out. Go to pregnancyexercise.co.nz forward slash wellnessmama and make sure to use the coupon code wellnessmama for an additional 10% off. Welcome to the Healthy Moms Podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I am so excited to be here with today's guest because I have been a fan of her for years. Toni Harmon is a documentary filmmaker turned birth warrior turned author. She graduated from Exeter University in London Film School, and she spent the past 20 years producing and directing films, including a psychological thriller that was released by a Hollywood studio. But like a lot of us, after having a baby... Um, She kind of switched modes, and now she makes amazing documentaries about childbirth, including Doula, Freedom for Birth, and the award-winning documentary Microbirth. And her research for microbirth ignited a passion for microbiome research, and this resulted in her amazing new book called Your Baby's Microbiome, which she co-wrote with her partner, Alex Wakeford. So, Tony, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, I'm, I'm a huge fan of yours, so I, I feel deeply honored. Oh my gosh, likewise. I'm such a big fan of your work. I saw Microbirth shortly after it came out and was just blown away with the research because I had seen little bits of that myself in researching, but the way you put it together and made it so easy to understand. So I'm going to jump right in because I know there are so many questions I have and I've written down some questions that readers have as well. So... Obviously, your background is in film, and you've done amazing things in that, and then you shifted focus after your daughter was born, which I feel like a lot of moms kind of have that moment where the things that were important before kind of shift, and your whole world obviously changes pretty drastically when you have a baby. So can you talk about that experience and what really created that journey for you and the desire to travel across the world to learn from all these specialists about childbirth, and also what surprised you the most? Okay, uh... I didn't set out to be a documentary filmmaker making films about childbirth. Um, we just made, um, so when I talk about we, it's myself and my partner, Alex. Uh, so we met at film school 20 years ago and uh, uh, we've been making films together. So we've made sort of uh, short films, we made documentaries with TV, we've done um, just kind of quite a lot of kind of filmmaking. And then uh, we had just finished our first feature film. So we thought we were off to Hollywood because it got picked up by a um, Hollywood studio and, and distributed. 
Um, and then I found out I was pregnant, which was wonderful and fantastic. And uh, then uh, I had uh, my daughter, who's called Willow. And uh, the birth, in my birth plan, I had envisioned a beautiful, natural childbirth with scented candles and music. And um, I, I remember writing in my birth plan, um, I didn't want um, any medical interventions. I didn't want any pain relief. The thing is that my birth plan didn't actually come out of my bag. No one asked me about my choices. Um, and I found myself having a, an emergency C-section and um, my daughter was given formula fil filmy milk um, straight away without me being asked. And so the whole birth experience, although it was amazing having um, you know, a, a baby girl and, all of, and be, becoming a mum for the first time, I was left with a whole set of questions. And was, was not just me and my partner, Alex, too, it was just like, well, what happened there then? We had this kind of a vision of a, a you know a natural birth with candles, and we end up in sort of an emergency room, and 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 our daughter being given formula, and it's kind of okay. So we had a load of questions. So as documentary, well, as filmmakers, we we're like, okay, well let's let's ask these questions in a film. So we started um, interviewing people just around us. So um, we started hearing about doulas and this is I'd never heard of the word doula before um, and this is before I'd never heard of you know people like Ina Mae Gaskin who's a childbirth uh, advocate and, and pioneer never heard of someone called Sheila Kitzinger who's was into the politics of, of childbirth so we started sort of asking questions and we made a film about doulas first off uh, and we, so in making a film about doulas the, one of the doulas we were filming at the premiere actually came to us and said if you really want to know what's happening with childbirth, uh, you should look at the politics of childbirth. So it's like, okay. So we started looking at the politics of childbirth and, and started interviewing various experts. Um, and that kind of sent us on a journey across, uh, across the world interviewing these experts. And we made a film called Freedom for Birth um, about the politics of childbirth and how about um, informed choice um, and how some people in, in birth, like myself, didn't have, weren't presented with the full information. We didn't have full informed choice. And it's something I feel really passionate about because of, above all, all of everything is that women need to have informed choices and those choices need to be respected by healthcare professionals. But you don't have choice unless you, unless you, the, the healthcare professionals give you choices and are aware of the information themselves. So we made the film Freedom for Birth. And then after that, um, we were looking around for another subject and someone said, ah, you should make a, a film about the science of birth. And that's how we came to um, make Microbirth. So it kind of, we, we thought uh, we were off to Hollywood, but actually we started on this amazing journey of making films about childbirth. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'll make sure that we have links to uh, find out more about all of those because they're amazing. And I think that people can learn a lot from them. And before we start delving into the research more, um, I know that you and I are on the same page here, but I just want to say it out loud for anyone listening that a lot of this research will talk about the difference between vaginal birth and C-sections and between breastfeeding and formula feeding. And anyone listening, please just know that we are coming from a total place of love on this and just wanting women to have the ability to make choices, like you said, and to have informed consent and that there is zero judgment from either of us and that this is just sharing information. Um, and I know that you feel that way too. And that I also want to echo and really give credence to the fact that 
a lot of times women will have a, a birth experience that wasn't what they chose like you did. And they'll get told, and I, this happened to me as well, like all that matters is a healthy baby. And I always say the most important thing is a healthy baby, but it's not the only thing that matters. And birth does affect women. So also to those who have had a birth experience that wasn't what they hoped, just sending you virtual hugs as well. And I know how that feels and that you absolutely have a right to feel that way. And I know that you're on the same page with those as well, as far as you're just here to give women information to help make their decisions easier and better, but not to judge. Absolutely. I think those two sort of two points about um, informed choice um, and not uh, this thing about um, not guilting mothers or make not. It's just it's very difficult because some people's birth situations, like myself, it wasn't what I envisioned when I wrote a birth plan. But actually, for whatever reason, that's what happened. And it's and it's kind of not feeling guilty about that it's mourning mourning what you could have had which is very different from feeling guilt because guilt is associated with something you you've done wrong and actually there's nothing I did wrong there's nothing other mums do wrong it's just that's what happens in their birth situations um and so it's but it's tricky because it's most people if not all people will remember their birth well remember the moment of having birth for the rest of or giving birth for the rest of their life and hopefully those memories associated with that experience will be really positive and and full of love and and fantastic but some people those memories will have memories which are for me it's like confusion and trauma is a very strong word but I feel quite um, emotionally emotional about it and quite not angry but there's there's it does dip into kind of my emotional core but I also know that to help other people you've got to kind of raise awareness of these issues and you've got to kind of talk about it I'd just love all health professionals and for parents and for new parents to be aware of this this amazing new information which is is really exciting when you start delving into it it's like opens up this whole new world it's exciting and it's not about making someone feel guilty. It's like saying, look at this amazing information. You can make choices which which involve this information. Yeah, 100%. And Because I tell people, I'm a C-section mom as well. My third was a C-section, which um, I had placenta previous, so it was not avoidable. But I also mourned that it wasn't the birth I had hoped. And with that's why I love this information that you're sharing because I wish I had had it then and I wish I had been able to act on it then. And so that's just my goal with this podcast is to get your information in the hands of as many moms as possible so that they can make that choice. And again, at the end of the day, it's their choice of how they birth, but it is important to know all the the different aspects that go into it. So to delve a little deeper, you released Microbirth in 2014 and it really delves into the latest science about the impact of how babies born, whether vaginal or C-section, and how they're fed, which is either breastfeeding or formula feeding, and how those impact their health pretty much their entire life. And I thought I knew a lot about this, and I was literally blown away. So can you talk about the film and what the microbiome is and why this is so important? I'm hoping that a lot of people have heard of this word, the microbiome. Um, There's had a lot of press um, in the last couple of years, and the microbiome is your bacterial ecosystem. So if you imagine um, your body is uh, comprised of millions, trillions of uh, human cells, but you've also got trillions of um, microorganisms in there too. So bacteria, viruses, protozoa, archaea, 
So these microorganisms are on and in your body and they work with your human cells. So our bodies aren't just kind of us as a singular, me, myself, I am an us. <laughs> I am part human, part microbe. And so it, it's amazing. So the microbes do things like they help with digestion, they help with your immune system, um, they help with, um, there's some research. Um, I'm so really sorry, I've got a scaffolding being taken down outside my house right now. So there might be a few bits of clunking. Um, okay, I'm just looking out the window now and seeing. Scaffolders. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, so you've so you've got this um, your your microbiome, and it does all these amazing things for your body. It keeps your body kind of moving and functioning. Um, and there's a research between your your what happens in your gut and what happens in your brain. There's a gut brain connection, and the scientists are thinking now that what happens in your gut can affect your mood, your behaviour, even who you are. So anyway, so this is a whole bacterial microscopic world. And when you're pregnant, your baby grows up, develops inside the amniotic sac. Um, and it's mostly protected from the kind of microbial world. So it's not entirely sterile, but there's, there's microbes there, but it's, but it's very limited exposure. Then the moment the, your amniotic sac opens, ruptures, so when your waters break, when you're pregnant or during labour, that's your baby's first main contact with the bacterial world. That's what's called the seeding of the baby's microbiome. Um, and normally that happens with vaginal birth. That happens in the birth canal. In your vagina, all these amazing microbes, which are a special type of microbes, and their job, not their job, but they're, but they're there, and they seed the baby's microbiome. So basically they're the first microbes, the first main exposure to microbes that your baby will will be exposed to. So, so the the micros, the microorganisms, the bacteria, the viruses, the archaea, the protozoa, they go in your baby's eyes, ears, mouth, um, into your, they get squished into your baby's skin, and then some of those uh, microbes go into the baby's gut to to found the baby's microbiome. Um, and then more microbes come from the um, from when the baby's born, from contact with the mum's fecal matter. So it's like vaginal microbes and uh, microbes from the mum's poo. Um, and, then, uh, and then there's more microbes come from the air and um, you know, the baby's being kissed by the mother, or touched by the mother. All those microbes all kind of go together to kind of colonize the baby's bacterial ecosystem. And this, that moment um, is incredibly important because that founds the baby's microbiome. And, that, and those first microbes to arrive in the, in the in the microbiome they help train the baby's immune system and that immune training lasts across a whole lifetime so you have those microbes which which arrive during the birth process during some vaginal birth from the mother's vagina and the mother's gut microbes plus other microbes from skin to skin contact um, and then breastfeeding more microbes 700 species of microbes in breastfeeding but what is, oh, this, see, this blows my mind. I get so excited by this because within breast milk, you have this thing called um, uh, human milk oligosaccharides. They are special sugars that are there not to feed the baby, but special sugars there to feed the microbes that have just arrived in the baby's gut. So, so it's like the, during vaginal birth is the seeding process, 
but during breastfeeding is the feeding process, the feeding of the baby's microbes. And it's this beautiful, intricate system which um, helps train your baby's immune system, but it sets your baby's microbiome for the rest of its life. And if, if that system is interfered with during, birth, during the birth process or if um, with formula feeding, that could affect the baby's developing immune system and metabolic systems, which could have lifelong consequences. So it's an so it's amazing kind of process that happens during birth and early infancy, um, and the baby's microbiome keeps on developing over the first two to three years of life until it stabilizes around about age two to three, um, and then uh, stays pretty pretty stable from then onwards. So you've got that critical window from late in pregnancy, during birth, um, and those first two three years of life. So a thousand critical days where your microbiome it's got happens it develops it kind of that and that's going to last a lifetime so yes that's that's the kind of long and short of it is the kind of what happens during the birth process and whether anything interferes with those critical processes they affect the the hypothesis is that they affect the immune training um, and that immune training affects the baby's immune system um, which means that if you have a vaginal birth and, and are exclusively breastfed, your child has the best chance of the best possible health. And, and so the flip side of that is that um, if there's um, a C-section or formula feeding, your, babies are, your baby is at increased risk of not having optimal immune health. Well, let's talk a little bit about that and go a little deeper with a C-section because you and I have both had one. And so what happens, we just talked about in a vaginal birth, what happens with the seeding. And it's still just, every time you say it, it boggles my mind. It's so amazing. But obviously that doesn't happen in a C-section. So uh, like the, obviously the birth itself is different, but from a, a microbiome seeding perspective, what happens with a C-section and how is a baby seeded and how is it different? Okay, so there's different types of C-section. So there's um, an elective C-section. So it's a C-section where the mother hasn't been in labour in any way. So the waters are still intact. So um, during a C-section, this is quite graphic, so I'm just going to say it out there. So during a C-section, um, uh, a mummy's tummy is um, cut open and then they sort of they cut through the the layers of, of, of muscle and tissue. And then um, they expose the baby still within the amniotic sac. And then the obstetrician, the surgeon, will cut through the amniotic sac. And that's the first kind of opening of the, of the amniotic sac. That's the first moment um, when the baby's going to be exposed to the, to the bacterial world that would have happened in the birth canal with, with vaginal birth. But with C-section, it's, it's done in the operating theatre. So as the baby doesn't pass through the birth canal, with an elective C-section anyway, doesn't pass through the birth canal, does not have any contact with the mother's vaginal microbes, nor does have any contact with the mother's um, fecal microbe, microbes, so that's the sort of, um, uh, contact with the mother's poo because the baby comes direct from the abdomen. So the seeding, the main seeding event for a baby born by C-section, the, their microbiome is still seeded, but those microbes are coming from the air of the operating theatre 
And scientists have gone even further to find that the air of the operating theatre, more specifically, it's from the skin of someone in the operating theatre. So the baby's microbiome, the main seeding event, is with the skin of, uh, say it could be the surgeon, could be um, the anaesthetist, could be the dad, could be anyone standing in the operating theatre. So it's not even coming from the mum, or likely not even to come from the mother's own microbes the baby is seeded with. It's likely to come from someone else. And so that because that we have evolved as mammals, as over millennium, over thousands of millions of years, we've evolved this beautiful, intricate system for a baby to, to be born vaginally um, and then to be exclusively breastfed. Um, which means those microbes, the mother's microbes, are really important to be, to be transferred from from, mo from mother to baby. So with a C-section, the baby is not well. The C-section, with it, which is elective, where the where the mother's um, waters haven't gone, um, the baby's not going to have exposure to the mother's own microbes. So their microbiome will still be seeded, and that could be well, there's two theories that could result in an altered microbiome. Which, which could be the theories are as to why babies born by C-section are at increased risk of certain non-communicable diseases. So things like um, asthma, type 1 diabetes, um, celiac disease, and even increased risk of becoming obese later in life. So that's one theory, the altered microbiome theory. But there's also, um, because um, with a C-section born baby, the baby doesn't pass through the birth canal, so it doesn't isn't under the, doesn't experience the same sort of pressures and hormone release as with um, a normal vaginal birth. There's a thing called epigenetics, so um, where genes are are switched on and off by certain things that happen um, during the kind of natural birth process. So the kind of the squeezing through the pelvis and the exposure to the cascade of hormones that the baby's supposed to be exposed to. And scientists think that that could also play a part in switching on or switching off of genes. So, OK, so that's what, what the situation is like with an elective cesarean birth. So this is where it gets a bit more complicated. So there's not been much research into what happens if a mother has been in labour for a certain number of hours um, and her waters have gone. And so the baby's still being exposed to the mother's vaginal microbes. Um, because the mother, the waters are gone while the baby's still in the birth canal, and then if the baby, the, if the mother needs to have a cesarean section, there's not been much research, but the theory is the baby could still have received some exposure to the mother's vaginal microbes, but probably no exposure to the mother's fecal matter, so the mother's poo, because the because the baby's being pulled out of the the uh, mother's abdomen. So there's so there is a difference. So, that, so there's some research which suggests there's a difference between um, babies born uh, elective by elective cesarean, and some research which suggests that those mothers who have gone into labour first, they might have received some exposure to the mother's vaginal microbes. So it's a, it's, it's complicated, and this research is ongoing. Um, and there's also some very recent research looking at the degree of pre-seeding that happens late in pregnancy in the third trimester, um, whether the baby's exposed to microbes from the mother's uh, placenta or from her um, the amniotic fluid itself, because it's not sterile, there's, there's microbes there. So, that, so the latest research is that that could be, present 
a, like a pre-seeding environment, effectively kind of setting the conditions for birth and breastfeeding. Does, does that make sense or is that... Would I get a bit kind of technical? No, absolutely it does. And I'm excited for more research about the preceding during the third trimester because I think for a long time we kind of thought that it was mostly sterile and the baby wasn't really exposed in utero. So I'm excited to see that. But I also really want to delve deeper into this because after seeing microbirth, there are things that moms can do, even in the case of a C-section from, that you explain in the movie. Um, and I really want to kind of talk about those because there are times when C-sections are necessary. And like we said, we're not here to judge a mom's choices, but there are things you can do if you do have a C-section. So um, talk about that. What are some of the things that a mom can do if she knows she's going to have a C-section or if she finds out she's having one pretty emergently like that she can do to kind of protect and help her baby's microbiome? Okay, so certain things that um, that all mothers um, could do anyway. So during pregnancy, um, it's having um, a healthy diet, eating lots of fresh fruit and vegetables. I mean, you know, gra our grandmothers always talked about eating vegetables, but vegetables and a high fiber diet and possibly some um, prebiotics or probiotics. So um, sort of a lactobacillus fermented foods. Um, all of that is really, really good for your microbiome because um, you want a mother to have a really healthy microbiome because that's what she's going to pass on to her baby if she has a vaginal birth. But also, this is the thing. So, so it's okay. So it's diet, lifestyle, avoiding unnecessary antibiotics where possible. So when I say un unnecessary, some antibiotics, just like C-section, they can be life-saving and it's fantastic that we have them. But it's but antibiotics have a play a devastating effect on a on a mother's microbiome, and because it affects the mother's microbiome, it also affects the baby's microbiome after the baby's born, um, or through if there is if if the baby is exposed to some degree of of exposures during pregnancy. Okay, so there's so the mother during so during pregnancy, it's uh, attention to diet, exercise. Um, um, there's lots of research about some moderate degree of um, exercise for a pregnant mum. What else? So avoiding unnecessary antibiotics, avoiding unnecessary antibacterial products, if possible. There's some great research I saw. Um, I was at a, a, a conference about three weeks ago, and they were talking about some research into the, the positive benefits of um, for the baby's for the baby's microbiome. Uh, of the mother being exposed to um, pets, animals during during pregnancy, because that that decreases the risk of um, asthma and other allergic diseases. Okay, so that that's all the things that a mother can do, or all mothers can do, um, and that goes for um, after the baby's born too. So for the mother to to have lots of plenty of um, fresh fruit and vegetables, um, loads of reduced uh, processed foods, um, high fiber diet, fermented foods, all of that sort of stuff. But what but the thing which which was talked about in the film and and in and covered in our, our, our book too is about um the potential benefits of something called swab seeding so this is research by um, a professor we interviewed at new york university called uh, maria gloria dominguez bello and she's done some research into um this thing called swab seeding so this is when um well, an hour before the cesarean section surgery uh, a kind of a tampon-like kind of swab is inserted into the mother's vagina to collect all those beautiful vaginal microbes. And then after the baby's born during the C-section, the baby is, um, the, so the swab is removed and kept in a sterile container. And then once the baby's born, 
the, the baby's mouth and skin and body are wiped with this vagina, which, have, you know, so hopefully the, the swab, which comes from the mother's vagina, has collected all the mother's vaginal microbes. And um, so the, the, the theory is that this helps the babies to help seed the baby's microbiome. So and so Dr. Dominguez Bellows, her research um, suggests that for those babies that have undergone this procedure, which is um, swab seeding, the, their microbiome is partially restored. So the, the microbiome of C-section babies that have been swab seeded, their microbiome looks more similar to vaginally born babies than um, other C-section babies where they haven't been uh, swab seeded. I should say this research is very, very new. Um, and it's at the moment she's only done sort of small studies. There's there's certain risks involved in terms of um, if a mother's microbiome is unhealthy, so her vaginal microbiome is unhealthy, then you'd be artificially um, wiping those microbes onto the baby and potentially transferring pathogens like um, unhealthy, unhealthy microbes to the baby. Um, so it's important for the for for the mother's microbiome to be healthy, so her mother's vaginal microbiome to be healthy for this procedure. So there are risks involved. It's a um, it's very early stage of the process, but the potential benefits are that it does at least partially restore the baby's microbiome. Um, and there's other, um, her research is only looking at elective cesareans at the moment. It's not looking at um, emergency cesareans. Um, and there's other things which, um, so the swab seeding doesn't, overcome the problem of the not the baby not having contact with the mother's fecal microbiome so the the baby's still not going to come in con, into contact with the mother's poo um with the with the swab seeding for the c-section baby technique um that said so it it could be i mean her research is ongoing so long term this could be something that is introduced if if her research does prove indeed that it can be very beneficial for the baby's long-term health, for the baby's immune system. Uh, what else they can do? Um, so all mothers, I mean, this is something I'm really passionate about. So all mothers, whether um, vaginal birth or C-section, they can have immediate skin to skin with their baby. So uninterrupted, beautiful skin on skin where the baby just gets put straight onto the mother's chest. Um, and there's a new technique, um, sort of a gentle cesarean technique where this happens, where the, 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 the baby is delivered straight onto the mother's chest um, in, the, in the operating theatre, and it's beautiful. So the baby is exposed to the mother's skin microbes, um, and it's just lovely. And that's the best place to initiate breastfeeding. So, so aside from potentially swab seeding research, there's immediate skin to skin, leaving as po where possible, leaving the mother and baby uninterrupted for as long as possible. So the kind of the tagging, the weighing, all the other kind of checks can wait. Obviously, if there's an emergency situation, absolutely, the, the doctors have to do their thing. But if there's not an emergency situation, maybe an hour or two hours of just uninterrupted, golden, wallowing in all those microbes for either a, a vaginal birth or a C-section baby. Um, and exclusive breastfeeding, I can't tell you, well, I can't tell you because I'm telling you now, but it's amazing. So exclusive breastfeeding is not just a transfer of microbes that are found in breast milk, but it's these amazing human milk oligosaccharides, 
So they're these special sugars that are there to feed the uh, microbes newly delivered in the baby's gut. And so, so that, I mean, there's some research which suggests that um, breast, exclusive breastfeeding goes some way, goes a long way to help restore the baby's microbiome for, for those babies that need to be born by C-section. Um, what else? For the mother to eat a healthy diet. Again, pets. There's research about uh, exposure to pets. I'm talking like cats and dogs within the family home. Um, that's really good for kind of um, for introducing microbes, which which can reduce. There's some research which can reduce the baby's likelihood of developing asthma and other allergic diseases. This research is very new, but it's just yes. All the indications are that yeah, having a pet, breastfeeding. Um, being kind of, I mean, I hate to say it, being a bit dirty. I mean, the, I think there's a tendency now to, I'm not, I'm not talking, obviously, if there's things like raw chicken, absolutely, you need to kind of like, you know, to, to deal with that and to get rid of those kind of potentially pathogenic microbes, so microbes that may be harmful. But if it's just the kind of, if you're, you know, to let an infant be dirty, to play in those dirt, to kind of get those lovely microbes from the soil if it's kind of you know organic pesticide free soil fabulous and not to be and to to not necessarily use antibacterial products just to use just soap and not to the babies don't need to be i don't know sterilized and you know obviously if you're if you're formula feeding or bottle feeding yeah that's sure you absolutely do need to to follow instructions and you need to sterilize the bottle but outside of that you know, let babies be dirty. So yes, there's lots of things. And that's what's exciting. It's kind of, okay, however, whatever happens with your birth, there's things you can do. And that, that idea of things you can do is what I wish I'd known uh, nine years ago. I wish I had that information because that is so empowering and so exciting. It's like you can do something, whatever happens in your birth, whatever happens with your, um, in terms of the kind of the first hours after birth. You, you, if you have this information, you can do something. You can make a difference to your child's lifelong health. Absolutely. I think that's the most exciting part to me too, is that all is not lost even because there are th going to be those times when even under the best circumstances, a mom has to have a C-section, but there are things you can do. And you'll probably be happy to know, at least over here in the US, there is kind of an underground movement among doulas and midwives to help get this information into mom's hands and your DVD gets passed around a lot. Um, but also there's an underground movement of doulas who are helping parents facilitate this swab seeding process, even in the hospital when they know they're going to have a C-section. So um, personally, I've done this several times as a doula where a mom had seen your movie and even though she knew she was going to have to have a C-section, wanted to make sure that she was going to swab seed correctly. So um, she would actually do things like the, the vaginal swab like you talked about, um, but a couple moms even took it a step further. They would sleep with like hospital type receiving blankets um, next to their skin where the baby was going to go anyway for like a couple weeks before birth and bring those into the operating room. And the husband would kind of switch out the blankets. And so the first, like they would put the baby on the mom's chest and then the first blankets that would go over it were already kind of dirty with her seated bacteria. And then the dad would do the swab. If the doctor was okay with it, they would do it in the in the operating room. And if not, they would wait till they were back in the room. And the dad would just kind of be like, oh, hi, baby, and like be swabbing the baby without the nurse really knowing. And so there's definitely a swelling 
kind of grassroots movement of people who are starting to understand this and to make that choice themselves. Um, the irony is that the moms that I know who have asked their doctors about this, most doctors are fine with it, but most of them also are like, but that's so gross. And it just makes me laugh because I'm like, you see birth all day long. Like, how is that any more gross than normal birth, which is, I think is beautiful and not gross at all. Um, but that's exactly what happens during birth. And a baby doesn't come out in a sterile environment. They come out you know, covered in liquid and touching all of mom's microbes, and it's wonderful. And I love what you talked about getting dirty also, because a previous guest on this podcast, Jasmina Aganovic, is uh, a microbiologist, and she has a company called Mother Dirt, and their focus is on the skin biome, um, mostly of adults, but and how you can um, kind of rehabilitate your skin biome if you've used all these antibacterial products your whole life and sort of destroyed your normal balance. So they have a basically a skin probiotic that you spray on your skin to help balance it out. But it makes me wonder, is there going to be, do you think, um, ever like, will we be able to study to the point of knowing what are the kind of best microbes that baby needs and maybe finding ways to help a mom who maybe doesn't have optimal gut bacteria to get her baby those microbes? Do you ever see that in the future? I do see that in the future. I think we're heading towards um, personalized medicine. And so um, um, everything you said, I mean, I, I, I think the... But what going just go back to what you're I'm going to come back to that, but um, um, just about this doctors. So most doctors, a lot of doctors are starting to become aware of the microbiome, but there is some resistance from some doctors who have their education, their training is that, yeah, babies are supposed to be clean there's you know so immediately when a baby is born that it's really important for them for this is how they've been taught that to, to wipe the baby down to clean it off before the baby's introduced to mum and to to separate not have the baby have contact with the mum's fecal matter and to me that's just kind of it's just raising what we're producing some um, educational materials at the moment some educational tools all about this and some online courses and things just to kind of raise awareness that actually you know, the, the fact that the mum is covered in vaginal juices and poo and everything else will probably spread from her abdomen and from her breasts, her abdomen, all across her thighs where the waters have gone. And it's probably just a gooey, gunky mess during birth. Brilliant. Bring it on. So I think it's, it's just it's slowly. And so I love the idea of kind of doulas kind of being, the I don't know, just being fully informed about this and, and proactively taking blankets in and and promoting dirt. And the thing with the microbiome, because everyone's microbiome is you is unique, so it's as unique as a fingerprint. So there's with the, we've been interviewing for our next film, which is all about the microbiome. So kind of what happens from birth onwards, and we're releasing it in May. So we've been interviewing more scientists recently, and they they're talking about it's really good for everyone to have their microbiome sequenced, so that you know what you might be missing. So if you're a mother. You, if you have your microbiome sequence, so that means like to to have a breakdown of all the bacterial species in your microbiome, your gut microbiome and your vaginal microbiome and in your skin microbiome. So you know what's there. And then if you know what's there and what you might be missing, then there is a possibility of introducing those missing microbes. And that could come from diet or it could come from exposures or it could come from products. So I think that within the next I mean, I, I don't know whether it's going to be five years or 10 years. I think um, personalized medicine based on your microbiome, I think is going to be the next best, best thing. And I can't wait because as your, like your last guest had was talking about kind of your, you know, 
flares if you have um, a atopic um, disease or eczema, that could be because there's an imbalance in your microbiome. So it, it could be, actually, you just need to reintroduce microbes. I think it's so exciting and fascinating that our health is this intricate play of microbes and different kind of your immune system. And, it's, and, it, and you can change things. So you can change your health by changing your diet, changing your exposures. Um, you, can, you can kind of, I don't know, just improve certain health conditions just by, by listening and knowing about your microbiome. It's amazing. And there's a, another blogger named Mommy Potamus. Her name's Heather. And she has an awesome post that I'll link to as well about why, basically exactly like you said, why you should let your baby play in dirt and how she actually did this on purpose and facilitated it in her house, especially in the winter when babies weren't crawling around outside. She would bring in organic dirt that she knew was pesticide free and let them play in it. And how not only is that great for their microbiome, but it actually helps with things like them getting enough iron and zinc and a whole like mineral cascade as well. So I'll make sure to link to that. But I think that it's so awesome that there's this swell of information of trying to understand how we truly are more bacterial than human. And how do we support that side? I think I, I, I love that idea. I love I, I can just imagine instead of kind of um you know, play, local playgrounds where you take your toddler. I can I can imagine local mud pits where you get kind of organic mud and you just let your children play and be dirty. Exactly. We have, uh, they're building a nature center close to our house and um, I'm kind of in the group just trying to help that process happen. And one thing I keep pushing for is I'm like, we need a mud pit, like a dirt pile for kids yeah. to play in. It's really important. We need a dirt pile. Um, and, but it's also just this idea... Um, We've been looking for for our next film, but just all the kind of different things you can do for your for your microbiome. So things like gardening is really good because you're kind of you're putting your fingers in the dirt and you're kind of you're for one thing if you're growing vegetables, great. But also it's, it's your exposure to microbes. So yeah, not just you know playgrounds where kids grow stuff and kind of get dirty. So so have your mud pot mud pit, but next to it have some seeds for for kids to grow into, um, I don't know, turn into mini gardeners. Yeah, absolutely. So to circle back on that, I want to, well, so I want to follow up with one thing you said. So when babies are born, they're covered in this waxy substance, which you mentioned a lot of doctors come from the perspective that you should clean baby off immediately. Um, but at least in the midwifery community that I'm involved with, there is definitely a movement to, you want to leave that on as long as possible. And actually they recommend delaying the first bath as long as possible because, they're finding that substance has not only a protective effect, but that it, we think it interacts with the microbiome and protecting it and also nourishing the skin. So do you kind of come from that perspective as well, that you should protect that as like a protective covering on the baby? There's been very little research into the microbiome of vernix. Just that just it's such a sort of a new, you know, such a fast evolving field, but it's been very little. So at the moment, there's only theories about how the the microbial benefits of um, vernix because they think because it's sticky, it's the microbes stick to it. Sounds obvious, but but it could be that actually it's supposed to be there because it's sticky and waxy. So microbes, particularly like your mother's skin microbes, will be kind of stuck to it, and so and to be left there. So for your vernix to be left on the baby's skin for as long as possible, because if that is absorbing microbes. 
um, from the air and from contact with the mother and from the home and from the blankets and whatever else, that could be really beneficial for the skin. So yeah, absolutely. Up until now, the, the kind of normal tradition is to wipe the baby off, get the baby clean, um, to bath the baby very quickly. But actually, I mean, I know that I've, I've seen um, anecdotal evidence where midwives say that it's just really good for the baby's skin. And actually, I can see that. I can see it because it's kind of, if it's attracting uh, microbes from, you know, from contact and from the air and everything else, probably that's really good to kind of balance the baby's skin. I'm saying probably, you know, it needs research to back this up. But yes, there's, there's no, I haven't seen any research about the harm of leaving vernix on to just let it. So yeah, absolutely. It's kind of just this whole thing of kind of, we just need to be dirtier from birth and not to be afraid of it and to reconnect with what we're supposed to be I mean if you think about kind of our evolution we haven't evolved as humans to give birth in operating theatres you know so operating theatres weren't around you know however many 500 years ago a thousand years ago so we've evolved to give birth in our local communities in our local houses in our local I don't know, mud huts, you know, kind of however long ago, and we're supposed to be dirty. And yes, absolutely, if it's a kind of a life-death situation, if, um, anti and this is what I mean, antibiotics are life-saving, fantastic that we have them as a, a, when necessary. Caesareans, absolutely brilliant, because they are life-saving when necessary. And there's so many circumstances um, where, you know, caesareans are needed. So yes, embrace the C-section, but also... Embrace the dirt too. Exactly. Yeah, 100% what you said. Like my son and I are both alive today because of a C-section. And I, like you, I respect medical professionals so much. And I think these things are truly important. But also um, the flip side of that is only when they're necessary. And I think that's why your work is so amazing because you're helping to give women the information to make that choice um, and to understand all of the aspects of that choice. Um, and so I have a kind of a list of questions from readers that I get often when I talk about anything to do with birth or um, pregnancy. So I'd love to get your take on those and how they relate to the microbiome. And the first one is, what about when a mother has group B strep and she's group B strep, strep positive? Because in the United States, the normal course of treatment is for her to get antibiotics in labor. I think that might actually be a little different where you are, but how does that interfere with the microbiome and what are the kind of risk and benefits there? Okay, so I go into, so there's, uh, when we do Q and A's for um, our film, and we're, we're doing kind of um, publicity for our book at the moment. So um, we're always asked six questions. <laughs> um, I'll see if I can name the six questions. So it's, we're always asking about group B strep, um, swap seeding, what else we ask about? Um, a baby's born in the cool, so baby's kind of covered in, in the sack. Guilt of mothers, I can't remember the last two, but anyway, so group B strep. So group B strep is potentially a, a really dangerous condition. So, um, it's, it's, so group B strep um, is a naturally occurring microorganism and probably in the UK, it's 20, about 22% of women test positive for group B strep. And in the UK, which is different from, from America and elsewhere, we have um, a, a risk-based system so that if you have certain risk factors, so for example, you your waters go, you have a high temperature, um, you've had previous um, group B strep, then you'll be tested for group B strep and then prescribed antibiotics during birth. 
in America, everyone gets tested for group B strep. And if you're and if you test positive, you 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 get prescribed antibiotics during the birth process. And group B strep is is potentially fatal disease. So so it's it's a naturally occurring microorganism, and a small percentage of babies will get a group B strep infection um, following birth. And a small percentage of those babies will have a serious infection. And a, and a small percentage of that small percentage of babies might die. So potentially there is, it's a very, very serious condition. So, it, so it, it needs to be kind of considered strongly. That said, taking antibiotics, as I said earlier, can have a devastating impact on a baby's microbiome. Because if a mother takes the antibiotics during the birth process, then it's like an atomic bomb going off in her bacterial ecosystem. It kills off all these like species of bacteria. Um, and the bacteria species that survive, including the group B strep, um, and the group and the bacterial species that survive are the kind of the antibiotic resistant ones, which basically means that you're you're getting rid of say 95 or 97 percent of bacteria. And leaving only two or three percent of bacteria, and that and they're the ones that kind of flourish and kind of blossom very, very quickly. So it does work. So taking antibiotics during during um, the birth process does work. It does kill the group B strep, and it it can save the baby's life. However, so it's not just that the the mother's microbiome is is impacted. Her breast milk, her breast milk microbiome, so the microbes in her breast milk will be impacted. Um, her skin microbiome will be impacted by those antibiotics because you're killing all those bacteria within skin. Um, and if the baby is given antibiotics as a precaution to develop group B strep, the baby's microbiome in that kind of critical first few hours, days, um, weeks even, that's going to be impacted by the antibiotics. That said, Group B strep is a really, really risky condition. So it, 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 there's no right or wrong answer. There's no black and white answer. It means there's some people, there's some people who would say, uh, what you can do if um, a mother is, is test positive for group B strep is you, the baby is born and the baby is closely monitored by the mother or medical professionals to see if there's any sign of infection. So not to take antibiotics, but to monitor that, that baby. But that comes with risk too, because that baby's got to be really, really closely monitored. Because if that baby gets an, a group B strep infection and it, infection takes hold very quickly, and that baby has a very high temperature, if the mother isn't isn't quick enough, or the healthcare professionals aren't quick enough to spot that baby, that could escalate really, really seriously. Um, and yes, the baby could die. So, so it it's difficult. So there's no right or wrong answer. Um, there's um. We interviewed uh, last year, we interviewed um, scientists who are working on other possible group B strep um, measures that just for this problem. So antibiotics are kind of like too strong. Um, not giving antibiotics is too risky. What's, there must be a middle ground and they're working on this middle ground. But it's not ready yet. And it could be two or three years before it's ready. So in the meantime, it's just for, for parents to, to read up and do their research and to look at alternatives. I have seen terrible things, terrible things suggested, things like um, that are not evidence-based. So things like um, inserting a garlic clove into a vagina um, as a potential, this will, this will uh, treat group B strep. I haven't seen any research saying 
suggesting that garlic, a, a, a garlic clove inserted into the vagina will do anything about group B strep. And it's difficult. It's difficult. I, I, I don't even know if that would work. I, I wouldn't even. That is really risky. So, yes, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Well, I hope those researchers are um, that their work is quick and effective to figure out some alternatives, because I think this is one of those big questions that right now, at least, there doesn't seem to be a great answer to other than um, I know I personally always try to do things that are going to hopefully give me the best chance of not testing positive in the first place for group B strep. Um, but I do find it really interesting that at least the last time I looked at the actual data, the U.S. and the U.K. have very similar actual rates of babies who have a serious complication or who die from group B strep. And you said you guys use a risk-based approach and not every mom gets tested and not every mom who's positive gets antibiotics, whereas here everybody's tested and if you get a positive, you get antibiotics, period. And so I think that's also that we can probably learn a lot from looking at other countries and other medical systems and how they evaluate as well. And that hopefully within maybe five or 10 years, there's a more comprehensive holistic approach that maybe doesn't require antibiotics for everybody who may be at risk and just those who truly need it. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I, um, and I think once we, this, this awareness of the microbiome and actually you sort of, you know, having your microbiome sequence when you're pregnant, I think that could, you know, so if you have, if you have it and you know what, you know, so so if you okay, so if group B strep is present, but actually what what level is it present at, and what else is there, and can it be interacted? I think that's all going to help. So at the moment we have these pieces of the puzzle, and we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle. So we have kind of you know the picture is forming, but there's missing pieces, and one of the missing pieces is group B strep. And yeah, within I hope five ten years, or even shorter. I'm I'm, I'm hoping two or three years, but yeah, maybe it'd be five to ten years. Yeah, I definitely hope so as well. So another question I get a lot is from like the birth, pers birth perspective, are there differences with a water birth versus a, what they call the, a dry birth, which I think is funny because no birth is truly quote unquote dry, but is there a difference from a bacterial standpoint? Uh, so that's one of my the six questions I always get asked. So yes, uh, water birth. Water birth is, well, I filmed some beautiful, amazing, fantastic water births. I oh my God. The, the mothers just look so just at peace within the water. But there's been no research. There's been very, very, very little research into the impact of water birth on the, on the transfer, transfer of microbes from the mother to the baby. So I don't know. Scientists don't know what might be the impact. I mean, it might be that some of the microbes um, are washed away in the, in the vagina. Some of the microbes are, um, I don't know, filtered, you know, just diluted put it that way. The, I, I do have concerns, questions myself, in that a lot of birth pools are treated. They're, the standard cleaning is using chlorine-based products. And chlorine is like an antibiotic. It's just, it kills bacteria. So if you're, if you're giving birth in a birth pool, which has been very heavily treated with very heavy chlorine products, there could be traces of chlorine um, in the birth pool and if you're using a lot of public health systems here in the UK, we use chlorinated water. So effectively, your, your tap water, if, if the pool is filled with tap water and it's a chlorinated tap water within your birth pool, that could impact. I'm saying that there's been no research on this. I'm saying this just from, from all the kind of interviews with scientists we've done for our book, our book and for our film, uh, a water birth in a pool which may be contaminated by chlorine products 
could be tricky. So I don't know is the answer. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think it makes a lot of sense what you just said. And I'm curious about the research long term on that because um, I've actually, my most recent birth was my only water birth, but I had a uh, baby who was breech and um, it at least allowed me to be able to birth her naturally. And she did great, had zero complications, but it was in my own bathroom in my bathtub that is not cleaned with chlorine. And then we have non-chlorinated water. And I had a lot of control over the environment, which wouldn't necessarily be true, like you said, in a hospital or a place like that. Um, But that actually brings me to my next kind of item on the list, which is from a bacterial perspective, what about the difference between home birth versus hospital birth for bacterial exposure? And obviously there's a lot of other factors besides um, bacterial exposure as far as safety and quality of care and all that. But just from a bacterial perspective, um, do we know anything about the difference there? Okay, so um, there's there's been quite good research about the benefits of home birth on the microbiome. So that if your if your baby is born within a the home environment, um, the baby's going to be exposed to the mother's mother's um, vaginal and fecal microbes. Would have been in, in exposed to the kind of microbes within the home. If there's a pet within the home, then all the kind of the the microbes associated with your pet. You, if you kind of the longer you with, live with somebody, you kind of take on their microbes. It all becomes part of your own microbiome. So there's been some really good research about the kind of microbial benefits of home birth. If you give birth in a hospital, then there are likely to be within at least the air environment and things you touch microbes within the hospital that are not necessarily beneficial for the baby. So bacterial species like Clostridium or I don't know, C. diff or, you know, those nasty pathogens which you hear about. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're born in hospital, clearly not every baby's going to get ill or or die, but it's just those microbes are there in the environment. So I'm not saying, so for, it's one of those choice things. So yes, microbially speaking, a home birth can be really beneficial for the baby. But at the same time, uh, hospital birth could be a really good um, microbial exposures if you're aware of it and kind of, you know, wrapping the baby with with clothes or garments brought from home. Um, but it's just being sort of throwing into the mix that there are hospitals are places where maybe pathogens also exist. But more research, more time, more research will have more definite answers. So, yes, uh, yes, I would say there is research indicating that it does make a difference. Yeah, that's so interesting. And since you brought it up, I'm going to ask you, what about babies who are born in the amniotic sac or in call, as they say, what is there a microbial difference there? Or do we have any idea? Because that's so rare. Um, again, uh, there's been so, so little research. I mean, because babies born sort of still within the um, amniotic sac, it's such a rare occurrence. You don't know who's going to be born is still in the amniotic sac. So the amniotic sac will either be um, partial, so just covering the face and head, or be whole, so the whole babies. Um, sometimes you see these photos on Facebook of kind of babies still born within the in the core in the amniotic sac, and it's beautiful. Okay, but the baby is likely to receive a small amount of exposures within the amniotic waters within the amniotic sac. So a small exposure of prenatal exposure, so pre-birth exposure. As soon as the the amniotic sac is opened that's the main seeding event as it would be with vaginal birth. So if the sac is opened and it's on the mother's um, abdomen, the 
babies are on the other's abdomen and the baby the mother's coated in the vaginal juices and and poo and just kind of you know microbes from a, a vagina and it's all kind of smothered all over her and that's beautiful kind of organic gloopy mess and the wrap the sack is um, opened in that environment you can absolutely see the baby would still be exposed to some of those microbes because it's being the sack is being opened in that environment and the, especially if the baby then goes on skin to skin and so it's got if the mother's got all that those gorgeous microbes on her skin the baby's going to be licking and nuzzling and sucking up um However, if if you you can imagine if the baby's if the amniotic sac is ruptured and it's away from the mother, maybe on a towel the other side of the mother, so not in direct contact, you can see that those first exposures, um, and it's particularly if the if the mother doesn't have skin to skin straight away and the baby's like tightened up and the umbilical cord is cut, and off the baby goes and is is kind of you know tagged and weighed and everything else and doesn't see the mother for ten minutes. Uh, and then, you know, it could be that the baby's swaddled and there's no sort of skin to skin, then there probably is a difference in the microbial exposures. It's difficult to say for certain because there's been no research on this or, or very, very few studies. Well, I haven't seen a single study on this. So maybe there has been some studies I haven't seen. But uh, it's, it's just this is all these questions. I just would love more research and more money pumped into this whole area because um, it's fascinating and potentially very exciting. Yeah, especially when you talk about the long-term effects and how it may actually impact, like you said, obesity later in life or risk of diabetes or risk of all these other problems that we're just starting to understand, including potentially a lot of autoimmune diseases that we are just really learning about. Hey guys, I want to pause this episode for just a minute to again thank the sponsor for this episode that makes it possible, perfectsupplements.com. They make these amazing natural nutrient-dense superfoods made in the USA and incredibly reasonably priced. They are recent additions to our diet and I'm finding that every product of theirs I love um, that I've tried. A favorite in our house right now, especially among my husband who does not like liver no matter how I cook it, no matter what I do, is their perfect desiccated liver supplement, which is a capsule. So if you have listened for long, you know that I use organ meats in our home a lot and I consider it nature's multivitamin if it's from a really good source. Um, if you have a hard time with the taste of liver, like my husband does, you may wanna try their desiccated liver capsules. Other products of theirs we've been using recently are collagen, their greens powders, and even fermented kale, because I will admit I don't actually love kale. It's just one of those greens I don't love. And so it's made it possible to get it in our diet. But back to their liver, it's made from 100% grass-fed cattle and nothing else. Their liver is packed with vitamin A, B12, and iron, and it's this is the same product that has been recommended by Tim Ferriss and Dave Asprey, and I finally broke down and tried it, and I love it and can see why they recommend it. So I actually found, especially with um, pregnancy and nursing, that liver capsules like theirs can really help with energy levels and help mental clarity, which of course all moms need. So I wanted to, you guys to be able to try it and love it as much as I have and they've offered an amazing discount so you can get 10% off of any order by going to perfectsupplements.com forward slash wellness mama and using the coupon code wellness mama 10 but the best part if you're from a big family or even if you only have a couple of kids you can order in bulk and get even bigger discounts 
So they offer 25% off if you order three bottles of their supplements and 30% off if you order six bottles. So if you combine this with the coupon code wellnessmama10, you're saving 35 and 40%. And you can mix and match these to get a volume discount. Um, great way to get discounts on their prices and some of the best prices I have found on these supplements, especially USA made high quality ones. So just go to perfectsupplements.com forward slash wellnessmama to get all the details. Also, many special thanks to Pregnancy Exercise for sponsoring this episode. You've got to check this out if you are a pregnant mom or recently pregnant and looking to get back in shape. Their flagship product called No More Mummy Tummy does just that, helping women tone their core and pelvic floor muscles post-pregnancy. They have online programs that help women to have a healthy and pain-free pregnancy, to prevent diastasis and pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, and to get back in shape and to kind of remedy those problems post-pregnancy. The founder, Lorraine Scapins, is an amazing wealth of information on all things exercise and wellness, especially related to pregnancy, and her website has a ton of great information for all of the questions you may have about safe exercise during pregnancy, when you can and can't do things, and how to get back in shape after pregnancy. They have some great programs that I've been checking out. Uh, They have one for post-pregnancy. They have one, like I mentioned, called the No More Mummy Tummy Challenge that is a no crunch core challenge and one I wish I had known about in pregnancy, which is one for turning your baby if your baby is in a non-optimal position for delivery. If you want to check them out, make sure to go to pregnancyexercise.co.nz forward slash wellnessmama and use the coupon code wellnessmama as well for 10% off of all of their programs. Another fun fact about this, they're based in New Zealand, as you may have guessed by the .co.nz, and she's such a joy to listen to. Her courses are really well made and really well explained, and if you are like me and have a baby plus maybe some other kids, it's really hard to escape and go for a run or go to the gym, and her programs can be done from home while your baby naps. Definitely check it out. That's pregnancy exercise .co.nz forward slash wellnessmama. Use the coupon code wellnessmama for 10% off. And now back to the episode. Another question I know a lot of readers and listeners will probably have is with the swab seating, if someone's listening and they want to try that, any tips for getting a doctor or medical professional on board with that? Unfortunately, I haven't figured out a way to make them all sit down and watch microbirth yet. So until that happens, any ideas of ways to get them on board? Okay, so we're releasing a book. So Your Baby's Microbiome coming out in February. Um, so yeah, give give your obstetrician a copy of the book or a copy of the film. We're doing some online courses. So again, we're trying to kind of raise awareness of, of this within kind of our, our sort of educational training modules ourselves. I think it's just kind of, for me, sort of doulas and lactation consultants and midwives have are all starting to kind of get this um, and I think it's going to be a little while before all doctors get this but it's coming it might take a little while but it's coming and I think it's just I think it's just talking about just you know so it's our film it's other people's films it's other people's you know magazine articles I think it's just kind of raising awareness and you know that this I'm not making this up. This is based on hundreds and hundreds of um, studies, particularly in the kind of last two or three years that have all come out, all pointing in the same direction. Like I say, there's not, we don't have all the answers and there's some missing pieces of the jigsaw, but there's so much research coming out that it, it's, it's like this tide, this kind of rising tide that is happening and the sooner you kind of understand it, the sooner you kind of get on board with it, 
the more change that we can make. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one thing I always encourage as a doula is when a mom wants to do the swab seating and she has plans for that and to bring her own blankets. And sometimes she'll be like, well, how should I ask my doctor? And what if he doesn't let me? And I always say, well, just remember that at the end of the day, this is your baby and you get to make the choices. And if, even if you choose not to do this and like be very outspoken about it in front of your doctor, if you decide to swab your baby down and to bring blankets from home, that's absolutely your choice. And you don't have to get a doctor or anyone else's permission for what you wrap your baby in. And I just try to encourage moms that even if you don't necessarily have a doctor on board, there are things you can do outside of that that still can help your baby's microbiome. And obviously, like you said, breastfeeding um, is something that also we know is super helpful. And um, just making sure baby is in a good bacterial environment when they do come home and exposing them to the normal microbes that they would experience in your home. And I think that's what I love the most about your work is it's not just about how how bad things are, but you, you really give people um, hope and practical steps for what they can do. And I would love to kind of end, I want to end talking about your book, but before we get to that, can you kind of walk us through if a mom's going to have a hospital birth, either a C-section or just a, a natural birth in a hospital, what would be the optimal steps that she could do from what we know that would help give that baby a good chance of having good microbiome seeding? Okay, so... Um... I mean, for first off, for, for the, the mum to be fully informed, to kind of educate herself. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fine. Uh, buy our book, read our book, watch our film, um, read up on the internet. So kind of first step is just to 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 be aware, to raise awareness um, and to. OK, so even before the mum gets into hospital to write a microbial birth plan to start getting together kind of like things from home to, you know, so clothes from home that have kind of, you know, been exposed to the mum or the dad, um, blankets from home. So as soon as the, you kind of enter hospital, to be aware that you have, you have informed, you have a right to informed choice. So anything happens, it is your body, your birth, and you need to be sort of legally, okay, so it's informed consent, but actually it, it's kind of, I, I, sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but things like um, thing. One phrase that really annoys me is that when I hear a mother say, um, "I wasn't allowed to do that," and it's, just, it's kind of what you said. It, it's actually who's doing the allowing. You should be allowing doctors. So not for doctors to allow you to do something. You should be allowing doctors your birth, your decisions, what you do within that kind of those those next few hours and next few days and weeks. That's that's you. That's you kind of being empowered to to and being supported in those choices. Okay, so what else can you do? So you can walk when you walk into the hospital. Ideally, you would try, if possible, to have a vaginal birth where possible. And I know in some situations it's not possible, but where possible to have, um, ideally, if if at all possible, any intervention. So use of synthetic oxytocin or um, epidurals, even they could impact the to impact the baby's microbiome and other fun, body function, functions there's been there hasn't been enough research on this so we don't know we don't know what effect it might have so anything from breaking artificially breaking the waters induction use of synthetic oxytocin um epidurals um even kind of a von Tuss or forceps all of those could impact the the birth process as in it could interfere with the epigenetic potential epigenetics or it could in fact interfere with um, the seeding 
um, the kind of the main seeding event that happens during the kind of the birth process. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't do this. It's just kind of be aware that, that anything that happens that is outside of a truly natural birth could have implications. We don't know yet. There hasn't been enough research. So there could have implications. So um, it's to kind of moderate use of anything you do. Um, in terms of C-section, yep, if you're going to have an elective C-section, I would think look into the research about swap seeding. I would do immediate skin-to-skin um, in the operating theatre, and I would do exclusive breastfeeding. Um, in terms of the the mum's kind of bringing in um, clothing or blankets from the home, absolutely, when the baby's born. I'd also look at, um, during the pregnancy, I'd, I'd look at the mum's diet um, to make sure that she's eating lots of fresh vegetables and fermented foods. And then, so after the baby's born, so immediate skin-to-skin contact, and support where possible for exclusive breastfeeding. And I'm saying exclusive breastfeeding, I know it's really hard and I know it's kind of, some people might not choose to breast uh, breastfeed and some people can't breastfeed. And I just believe in full informed choice, but also full support for every one woman who wants to breastfeed or wants to try to breastfeed. Because by exclusively breastfeeding, you're introducing all the microbes and the immune components and the human milk oligosaccharides and everything else that the baby needs. And this is like a living, breathing food that you're, you're supplying to the baby. And those components are not currently found in formula food. And they can, by not exclusively breastfeeding, there could be, I mean, scientists are looking into this, but that could alter the kind of the, the seeding and feeding process. These, these intrinsic, exquisitely designed microscopic processes that we've evolved to be like that over the last thousands or millions of years. So if you interfere with any of that process, that could have health ramifications later in life. So that's what I'd say. It's just vaginal birth. I mean, the, if I was to boil it down and say vaginal birth where possible, skin to skin, um, beautiful, lovely skin to skin and all those gloopy juices of vaginal birth and exclusive breastfeeding, support for exclusive breastfeeding for as long um, as possible. And then just lots of beautiful one-to-one time. I mean, this is where it gets tricky because microscopically you want to kind of limit within your family unit. You want to limit the exposure the baby receives just within that kind of first like day or two or the first week because they're kind of, it's supposed to be kind of the mother and the father and it's supposed to be those kind of microbes. So the least handling, if possible. I mean, I know it's really hard because relatives come round and want to hold your baby or or even the neighbour comes round or someone's friend or a friend wants to hold your baby. And yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of getting, getting a balance really. Yeah. And how wonderful that, at least from my experience, you have such a strong instinct those first few days to just hold your baby and kiss your baby and touch your baby's face and all those things that can support that bacterial transfer in those first couple really important days. So your new book is Your Baby's Microme, The Critical Role in Vaginal Birth and Breastfeeding for Lifelong Health. And I'm so excited about this book. Can you talk a little bit about the book and how it complements the film and what readers can expect from the book? So our film, with with any film, you paint in broad brush strokes so you you don't have time to go into the kind of minutiae and the detail of, of the thing so the film kind of covers the whole process okay just about the microbiome and, and what happens during birth but in kind of broad brush strokes we kind of paint a picture 
So the book is all about going out into everything in much more detail and to talk about what happens with GBS, with the water birth, what happens with um, uh, babies born in the cool, to talk about swab seeding, to talk about what foods to during pregnancy, to talk about um, breastfeeding and how, how to support breastfeeding. And also kind of the consequences, the lifelong consequences that are being linked to C-section. So the increased risk of celiac asthma, uh, obesity and type 1 diabetes. But most important thing I, is to kind of give parents the information so they can make the informed choices and to say what you can do. Because um, that's that's what is exciting. It's like if you know this stuff, if you if you kind of read about it, or you watch the film, or you read articles or blog posts, or your your blogs, Katie, um, it's kind of okay. If you've got that information, then you can act on it. And if you can take actions during those first critical first few, you know, last weeks of pregnancy and during the birth and the early infancy process, if you can kind of get the best possible microbial exposures to your baby during that process, then that could have a lifelong impact for your baby's health. And not just that, because of the kind of the, the transgenerational impact that you could actually be in fact in impact the because the, the microbiome of your baby is passed on to their own baby and to their and to their grandchildren grandchildren and their great grandchildren. Uh, during the kind of the if they if they all have vaginal births because it's kind of transgenerational then you could be effectively impacting your great grandchild's health by what you do during the birth process so it's exciting it's kind of right okay that's that's what we wanted to do with the book is to kind of give people a roadmap of what they can do and and it's exciting because you can make choices and those what you do during that is those first thousand and one days they matter and they matter for your baby's health, they matter for your child's child's health, and they could potentially matter for future generations. It's really incredible, especially when you explain all those different aspects. And um, I definitely want to go on the record to say that I think that microbirth should be required watching for any pregnant parents and that your book should be required reading because um, you're the best resource I've seen on this. And I think this is critically important for parents to understand so that they, like you said, can make their choices and hopefully make ones that will help support their baby's microbiome. Do you have any thoughts on what's next for books or documentaries or what you see as the future in this field? Uh, we're releasing our, and you should ask, but we're releasing our next film um, in 2017. So it'll be uh, May, June 2017. And we're looking at what happens from uh, birth on, onwards and how your microbiome how how protecting and maintaining maintaining your microbiome can influence human health. So we're looking at again what you can do to live a more um, microbiome friendly life and how that can impact impact your brain, impact your health, impact your kind of I don't know just the your sense of wellness by living for your microbes. That's wonderful. I'll make sure to link to everything in the show notes, but I also encourage moms to just find it even if you're not. Finding it through my links, just find the movie Microbirth and find the book, Your Baby's Microbiome, and keep an eye out for your next documentary because, like I said, I think this is critically important and information that all parents really, really need. And um, Tony, I've taken so much of your time, but I'm so, so grateful for you being here and explaining all this and for all the work that you do to help parents understand this really important research. Well, honestly, I'm, I'm so honored to be part of your show because I'm, I'm a huge fan. But more than that, it's just I think it's... Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this because I was really passionate about this. And I just, I, it's almost like 
anybody listening to this, I want you to go and tell your friends uh, just to just to start looking about the microbiome because it, it is revolutionary and it's so exciting what you can do to kind of in your own just simple things. I've started fermenting, so I've started making like my own sauerkraut. It's just it's and my own kefir, and it's like so easy. And it's like, gosh, let's just do it. Let's just kind of revolutionise everybody, and, and yeah, I don't know, be healthy and be happy and give birth. Kind of, I wouldn't say better, but just give your child the best possible start in life, and whilst in, whilst embracing medicine and embracing the benefits of fantastic kind of new advances in science. I love it. Thank you so much, Tony. And I will have links to everything we talked about and to your book and your movie in the show notes, like I said, and maybe we can do a round two of this with the next documentary or in the future for any follow-up questions readers have. And like I said, again, just thank you so much for your time and being here and for all your work in this area. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sending it right back to you. I'm sending you much love back. Awesome. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening. And I will see you next time on the Healthy Moms podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Moms podcast. Did you know that you can become a Wellness Mama VIP member for free? Just go to wellnessmama.com forward slash podcast to subscribe to the podcast and then click free membership to gain access to a membership library of health and wellness resources. You'll get the latest from Wellness Mama each week, as well as special discounts and offers. Also, find Wellness Mama on social media to stay updated with the latest podcast episodes, blog posts, and more. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.